Today's reading is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth. The things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything, because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well-established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation, under heaven, and I, Paul, became a servant of this good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in the middle of a series where we're looking at five practices that really help sustain um, a life of loving God and loving others. And each of the practices, we're taking like two weeks on the practices uh, and the first week is like on, on the why uh, of this practice, and then the, the week after would be like the, the how-to or how do we kind of live into this practice. And so we've talked about prayer, we've talked about reading scripture, and so this morning we're actually talking about living life together. So this is the why do we live life together. Like why are we in this whole thing together and not just as like individuals um, doing our own thing? And in order to answer that question, or at least to explore that question, I'd actually like to look um, at the book of Colossians, in particular the, the scripture that you heard read. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're actually going to look at the text. It's on page 983 um, in the blue Bibles in front of you, if that's the one you're using. And so I just kind of want to lay out a little bit, at least, of, this, of the first chapter. And we're not going to look at very much, but I kind of want to lay out the, the train of thought that the author has for the people that he's writing to. And he's writing to this church in Colossae. And, and um, there's a little bit known about the church in Colossae. In Colossae. It's, it's like in this area of Phrygia and like Asia Minor. And it was actually destroyed by an earthquake in like AD 60 to 64. So, and it's not, never really been excavated. So there's not a lot known about it. But it's kind of assumed that this was a, this was a city in, in, in which that was kind of connected to these other cities. And this church was founded there. And it's perhaps it was in this area where there was a lot of movement from um, almost like this, this transportation of goods and of services potentially like a military um, uh, area as well, um, connected to the Roman Empire. And so that, that kind of, that's a, just a really basic sort of background of, of who the author is writing to. But I think it has something to say for us or to us about like why we live life together. And I think it comes to us by way of actually focusing mostly on Jesus, which I love. Colossians is one of my favorite 
It's one of my favorite books of Scripture. And what we're going to look at this morning is like one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because I think it's just so, so beautiful. But the train of thought of the, is this. So it begins with this greeting in, in, in verses 1 and 2. Um, and then the author, um, who's historically believed to be Paul, um, so we'll just use that as an assumption. So Paul, is, 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 he has this greeting in verses 1 through 2, but then he, he kind of moves in um, to verses 3 through 8, and he kind of he begins to, to tell this community why he's thankful for them and what he's heard about them and the type of people that they are. Um, and then he kind of moves in to, in verse 9, um, to about 14, and he begins to talk about how he's praying for them. That, that Paul is really praying for this community of people that they would, that they would bear fruit in every good work, that they'd come into the knowledge of God and that'd be strengthened by his power in verse 11, according to his glorious might. And, and that, and then he begin, he reminds them in verses 13 and 14 what's true of them. And he says that, that Christ has delivered us, um, has delivered us, his people, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is moving through this, the beginning of this letter. And he does it. If you ever want to know why we live life together, honestly, you look at the, like the letters of Paul, and at the beginning of each letter, he, he wants to basically take the time to remind people, this church, why they exist in the first place. And so Paul constantly names and reorients the churches to what is true about them. And, and this is what he's doing here as well. He's telling the church, this is what's true of you, people of God, people who've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. Here's what I want you to know. That has happened to you. That is what's true. That's the indicative. And then he will move into the imperative and he will say, okay, well, this is how to live in response to that. But Paul actually, he kind of, he, he stops there and then he just wants to talk about Jesus. And he wants to talk about the supremacy of Christ, how remarkable Christ actually is. And so I just want to spend time reading that a little bit and kind of teasing it out and making connections of how that might answer the question of why we live life together. So in verse 15, he says this. He is he, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is this big deal. And here's the thing about this passage, is what Paul is saying is, this is what's true. This is actually the whole, this is what's true of the world. This isn't some like idea of what we hope will be. The way Paul writes it here, no, this is what is actually true. This is who Jesus actually is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. All things, all authorities are created by him and through him. And he is above all. Now thinking about this potential place in which this book um, or this church might have been, you have this idea of images, this idea of, of, of these things in this place, which is would happen in the Roman Empire if, if and this happens in the ancient world all over the place. That if someone wanted to make a claim 
or make a mark, uh, this place is theirs, then they would put different images around to remind people of what is actually true. So perhaps there might be Roman images or statues. You have in the ancient world, and like the Old Testament, you have different images of gods. You know, in, in Egypt, when you think about the Exodus, there, there, would, be, there would be images of, of, the, of, of Pharaoh, so that when people would see, they'd be like, oh, that's right, that's the story I'm a part of, that who is who is in charge. And Paul is wanting to remind the people here, well, let me tell you who is actually in charge. It's Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And when you're wondering what is to make sense of the world, who you are, why it is we're together, look at Jesus. He is above all. It is through him and by him all things have been created. I mean, that's a remarkable claim of what's true in the world. Verse 17, and he, is, and, he, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, Jesus is like the glue that holds all things together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And if that's not even crazy enough, through him, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, these are like crazy claims that that Paul is making about Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, God has reconciled to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth. I mean, that is the good news. And it is through the blood of his cross that God has actually made peace. This is, this is a big deal. And Paul is wanting to know, wanting us, wanting the, the church here to know that this is a big deal. And this Jesus, through whom God has done all these things, is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. So why is that significant? Because Jesus is the reason for this thing that we call the church. And I want you to think outside of this building and this place. Yes, Paul is talking to a specific community, but I think he's trying to enlarge the people's imagination to help them realize that they're a part of something much bigger. Like the the church. People who, who have been raised with Christ people who claim that Jesus is Lord over their lives, that is the church, this whole thing that we're a part of together. Jesus is the head of that, and that's massive. And we live life together, we come together, because Jesus has made it so. Just as Jesus put flesh on God, I think we as a church are in some ways called to put flesh on Christ. So what this says about Jesus is in some ways we as a church, become to, we come to bear witness of that reality, of that fact. So keeping that in mind that the church's responsibility, we come, we live life together to bear witness to what is true of the world, 
to what is true in Christ. Let us kind of reread that section and be thinking about what we then might be called to do. If we're to put flesh on Jesus, if we're through the power of the Spirit to keep moving in the way that Jesus began, then we have a high calling. In verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Because that's true of Jesus, the church is to bear witness to that fact that Jesus is actually above all things. So that in our lives and in our lives together, we are to point to the reality that Jesus himself has is ruler overall. So how we live our lives together bears witness to what we think is true of the world. So if Christ is actually head of all, overall, Lord of all, then that might have something to say about how we treat one another. That might have something to say about how we treat the strangers in our midst. That might have something to say with, about how we actually use our money. We, as the church, bear witness to Christ's authority in the world. In verse 20, or in verse 19, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We, then, the church, are to bear witness to the fact that through Christ, God has reconciled all things. When there's dissension among us, when there's disagreement, when there's discord, when we reconcile and we forgive and we love in spite of our differences or disagreements, I mean, that bears witness to the reality of what God has done in Jesus. Because through Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, we are to be one of those things in which that makes that actually tangible. That bears witness to that fact that makes it in some ways credible. No, this is how life works. We actually can forgive one another. We actually can trust God with our finances and give to someone who, who has less than us. We actually do believe that God is responsible for this whole thing. And so we give our lives to it and to one another. Because through Christ and through the blood of his cross, God has made peace, we then can be a community it's possible for us to be a community marked by peace. When so often the church, and not just us, but all over the place, is not marked by peace. I mean, it is no wonder that people who aren't a part of this whole church thing look at the church, global church, and say, no way. I'm not going to, I'm totally not going to participate in what they're doing because it, it, it makes no tangible sense to me. How are they any different from any of these other groups? that seem to fight amongst one another and who seem to, to be in disagreement and they can't get along even despite the way that they, they think and they, they interpret things. I mean, the fact that God has made peace through the blood of the, the cross of Christ 
gives us the ability, the possibility, a new way of being where we can actually be defined by peace. And in today's world, in 21st century, peace and being marked by peace, I think, would be a wonderful, beautiful, compelling thing. And so what we do matters because it points to God. If we are the church and we say this is what's true of the world, then the world should look to us to say, well, yeah, what is true? What is it like when you live under the lordship of Jesus? And then say, man, I really want that. That does look like a totally new way of living. And I want to, I want to taste what that's like. And here's what's crazy to me about how God works in the world. This isn't a new thing. Like, the church isn't like this, this new way that God decided, oh, I'm going to actually use people to bear witness to me. I mean, from the beginning of, of this book, of this story, that is what God has been doing. God makes man and woman in his image so that they might then reflect to the world what God is like. The story continues. God then, he, he uses Israel to be this people to bear witness to the world of what God is supposed to be like. Then God, in his complete fullness, comes in the person of Jesus and walks among us to show us, all of us, what God is really like. And then Jesus, being the head of the church, uses a church to bear witness to the world of what God is like. I mean, it doesn't take me very long to think, uh, God, um, you, could have, you, you probably could have done something a little bit better than choosing people um, to reflect you. Because we're not, what's the word, um, ideal. Uh, and, and because if you think about it, like, we're people who, there's a, <laughs> we have a lot of problems. We have a lot of issues. There are a lot of reasons why God shouldn't allow us to participate. But it's incredible grace of God that says, no, you, I'm going to, I need you, I'm, I'm choosing to use you to bear witness to the world of what I'm like. I mean, that's an incredible privilege and a crazy calling and an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And that's a really, that's just amazing. I mean, what's true of Christ and what God has done in Christ and we can then continue on doing by the power of the Spirit to bear witness to God in this world? I mean, is that how you see your life? I mean, I have to really seriously consider, is that how I see my life? As something that, as someone to bear witness to what's true about Jesus. And not, this is not as an isolated individual. I mean, I can't just bear... Yes, as a person, I can bear witness to Jesus. But it's much, it's much more powerful, and it's not just supposed to be me and God. It's us and God. God called the people to himself to bear witness to the world. And so whatever you think about having like this, this isolated or um, solitary spirituality, that's just not, that's not how God works. He calls a group of people to bear witness to who he is in the world. But there's another reason why I think we live life together. And as Paul continues, if you want to look down in verse 21, 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And I love, and I'm just struck by this verse, verse 23, um, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That we live life together because somehow it requires one another to continue steadfast in the faith. I need you to continue steadfast in the faith and to be the person that's marked by hope of the gospel. And you need the people sitting next to you. And I'm involved in that as well. Because here's the thing, here's what I know about the church. I know that there are a lot of us, that there are a lot of you who come in here and you are undergoing so much emotional, spiritual, social upheaval in your life and you are broken and you are hurt and you are the only one who knows about it. I know that's true. It can't not be true in a group this size. And the church sometimes is the easiest place to hide. Because somewhere along the lines, it becomes really easy to forget that we're a community of the broken and healed. And so we become, in our minds, a community that's healthy and whole. And so then any person or anything that comes that looks broken or that, that might look unhealthy becomes a threat to who we perceive ourselves to be. But my friends, as Jesus said, he did not come to call the healthy but the sick. He came for those who are sinners. And so if you in this community are hurting and broken and alone, please don't stay there. We actually need you to remember who we are. And then there are some of you in here, and I know this because I, I talk with some of you. Like you walk through these doors because you've been doing it your whole life. And you're actually wondering, why do I keep doing this? I don't even know if I believe anymore. I don't even know who God is in my life. I haven't experienced him in forever. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I'm really supposed to buy that somebody rose bodily from the dead? That sounds really crazy to me and totally irrational. Prayer's really supposed to work? I'm supposed to talk to this, to the ceiling, to what? I don't know. You get to this place in your walk or in your life or in your journey of faith and it starts to crumble. And you walk through these doors and church feels really painful to you. Because it's just not what it used to be. And you sit alone with these things going in your mind and you think you're the only one who's experiencing them. And sooner or later what will happen, if you don't talk about it, 
or if you're not honest about it, one morning you'll wake up and think, I think I'm done with that. I don't really need that anymore. That doesn't seem to fit my life. Now, if any of that resonated with you, but you haven't made that final decision yet, this can be a place, this, I hope, would be a place where you can actually be honest about where you are in your journey, about your doubts, about your struggles with faith. Because if we're not a community who can actually be honest about any of that, then what are we doing? If we're not a community where I can go to you and say, I don't really know who God is anymore. I mean, then I'm just living with that. And that's like, that's like a slow, painful death. But if I know there are people to whom I can go and I can say that, and they will be quick to listen and slow to speak and to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep, then perhaps we can be a community who actually reminds one another of why we live together, of who Jesus is, of what's true about the world. C.S. Lewis has this amazing picture of, of hell in his book, The Great Divorce. And this picture of hell it's not like this fiery thing. It's actually this, this place where, where people, they start to build homes, but further and further and further away from one another. Because they just can't stand to be close to each other. So the world actually gets increasingly bigger because people need to get further and further apart. And that image is striking because I wonder if that's how we often live our lives. C.S. Lewis's vision of hell on earth. Where we become people who are isolated in our own worlds and we build ourselves, walls around ourselves, and we continue to get further and further and further away from each other. And all the things we begin to tell ourselves, we can't help but believe they're true because there's no other voice to speak against them. There's no other reminder of who Jesus really is and this crazy thing that we're a part of, this church. And so my hope is that we would be a community of, of people who are open, who are vulnerable, who are honest. Because I really think that that is what we have to offer the world. That in our brokenness, God might bring life. In our death, God might bring resurrection. in our addictions and in our habits that are destroying our lives and the people who are close to us, that God might write a new story. In our doubts and in our deserts and in our wilderness and in our wonderings of where God might be, that perhaps God might be present again. I mean, this is why we live life together, because we, because we need each other. We need this thing. And I believe the world needs it too. And it needs us to bear witness to this true story of the world. That God, through Christ, has reconciled to himself all things and has made peace through the blood of his cross. That's the good news. So let us bear witness to it. Thanks be to God.